0: So, uh, why don't we start off with just a little bit of Bible trivia, huh? This should be fun. It should be an easy one. Don't worry, don't worry. Um, So, think back to Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 2, chapter 3. What was the temptation that gave rise to our current human condition? What, What was the thing that Adam and Eve were told not to do? Anyone remember? Eat, yeah, eat the fruit from the wrong tree, right? It, isn't it interesting uh, that the very first temptation is about eating? It, it's it's about food. Uh, yes, it was about, you know, Adam and Eve and, um, you know, listening to the wrong voice. It, it was about pride. It was about a breach of trust and a lack of faith and all. At, but but at this just kind of basic level, uh, the root of this temptation had to do with food with with eating uh, God said don't eat that and then they ate that and so sin came into the world and death and chaos and disunity everything that that is not good that was not part of god 's original plan for this world it came about because food. Isn't isn't that interesting? That that the first temptation, it it was not one of the the great and notorious triunes of money, sex, and power, but instead it was this more basic and primal human drive for food. And yet, food is also the thing that is good, (laughs) And beautiful and everything that is right in the world, like Oreos, am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh but you know, food food is this wonderful thing, you know, especially in in our city. Can I can I from that, right? Yeah. So someone asked me the other day, hey, where's there a good place to eat? It's like, uh I don't know, just like which direction are you heading? You'll just run into something, I'm sure. Um, But there have, been, uh, there have been numerous studies that have found that some of the happiest moments in people's lives are shared around a table, around, around a meal, sharing food and laughter with family and friends, like ranking right up there just underneath some of those major life events like, you know, a wedding or graduation or having a baby or something like that, like right underneath that is this everyday occurrence that we all have of eating and drinking. And, and yet, the table is also a place of great dysfunction. And I'm not just talking about those Thanksgiving dinners that have gone awry with your uncle that has had too much to drink or anything like that. But, but at the table, we, we see this, this collision of, of hurt and pain and the things that are wrong in the world, like eating disorders, loneliness food insecurity, starvation, unhealthy relationships with food. Like at any given point in our society, it's estimated that like 75% of women and 25% of men are on a diet. And so all that is right and good and beautiful in the world collides with everything that is wrong and gone off the rails in the world right here at the table, so the question that we ask ourselves as followers of Jesus is, is there a practice of Jesus that can help bridge this gap, that can help quell this ache that we all have with food? It turns out that, that there is. It's actually like the central practice of Jesus and of his followers. We, we call it communion, this time that we spend at Jesus's table. It's the collision of all the pain, of all the wrongness, the dysfunction with the world, with all the joy and the beauty and the life and what Jesus called the kingdom of God, where those two meet and the latter is drowned out. I think it's this wonderful thing that Jesus has given us as a gift. And so I want to take us to um, where this practice of what we now call communion, or maybe it goes by uh, some other names for you, where, where this all started. It uh, shows up a couple different places in Scripture, but I'm going to take us to uh, Luke chapter 22, starting at verse 7. this: says this, it says, the day of unleavened bread, or this is the, the Passover feast, had arrived when the Passover, the Passover lamb, had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John with this task Go and prepare for us to eat the Passover meat. They said to him, Where do you want us to prepare it? Jesus replied, When you go into the city, a man carrying a water jar will meet you. Follow him into the house he enters. "'Say to the owner of the house, "'The teacher says to you, "'Where's the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? "'He will show you a large upstairs room already furnished. "'Make preparations there.' And "'They went and found everything just as he had told them, "'and they prepared the Passover meal,' this ancient Jewish meal. "'When the time came, Jesus took up uh, his place at the table.' And the apostles joined him. He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this. I I love that. I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I tell you, I won't eat it until it is fulfilled in God's kingdom. After taking a cup and giving thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. I tell you that from now on, I won't drink from the fruit of the vine until God's kingdom has come. After taking the bread and giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after the meal and said, This cup is the new covenant by my blood, which is poured out for you. But look, my betrayer is with me. His hand is on the table. The human one goes just as it has been determined. That's Jesus talking about himself. But how terrible it is for that person who betrays him. They began to argue amongst themselves about which of them it could possibly be who would do this. An argument then broke out among the disciples over which of them should be regarded as the greatest. Not a good time, guys. Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. Which of us is greatest? Okay. Uh, but Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles rule over their subjects, and those in authority over them are called friends of the people. But that's not the way it will be with you. Instead, the greatest among you must become like a person of lower status and the leader like a servant. So which one is greater, the one who is seated at the table or the one who serves at the table? Isn't it the one who is seated at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are the ones who have continued with me in my trials And I confer royal power on you. I love that. Just as my Father granted royal power to me. Thus you will eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on the thrones overseeing the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, um, There's a whole lot here in in this passage that that we could talk about, but I want to call your attention uh, to just one line, Um, probably a familiar line. Maybe you've heard it before, uh, seen it inscribed on a church's altar table. That line, do this in remembrance of me. Now, I can't think of uh, another line of Jesus that has caused more division within the church, another line of Jesus that has caused more ink to be spilled, trying to discern and, and debate what Jesus actually meant when he said this. Uh, but just a couple things. Uh, that word, this, when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, he's not just referring to uh, the bread, the breaking of the bread, but uh, the article, this, in the Greek, if you look it up, it, it's actually referring to the whole meal, the, the whole experience, setting the table, taking your seat, eating this meal, retelling the story of God's salvation, because this was the Passover meal. This was the time where the Jewish people gathered around the table, and they heard and retold the story of how God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt, how God had rescued them. Jesus was not saying, uh, just take this cracker and some grape juice in remembrance of me. It was so much bigger than that. He's talking about the whole experience. He says, do this, perform this, make this happen. Do, do life around a table with other apprentices of Jesus, with me right there at the center of it all, right there in the middle of the conversation of all of it. And Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, in order to remember me. Just another little Greek thing. Uh, that word remembrance in Greek, uh, it's the word anamnesis, which is just kind of a funny word uh, to say. Uh, but you, you might hear a little bit of um, what we use in English, the word that we use in English for uh, amnesia. We all know what amnesia is. It's a somewhat, of a medical term that we use to describe the symptoms of of temporary or total uh, memory loss. It's forgetting memories, it's forgetting facts, it's forgetting events and experiences. And and so that word anamnesis means unamnesia, not forgetfulness, against amnesia. And, And so this meal, Jesus says, this meal is the cure for our Amnesia. It's the cure for our forgetting God. And so we remember not only that Jesus broke bread and he shared a cup, but during this meal, we remember all of Jesus, all of Jesus' life his ministry, his teaching, his death, his resurrection, all of Jesus' life here. We come to the table to remember Jesus. And also, we we remember not just Jesus from the past, way, way long ago, but we remember that Jesus is actually here at the table, that he has given us that promise that that he will be here with us at the table, that, that when we share this meal, we are actually eating and drinking with God, which is just like, whoa. I mean, that just... Anyways, um, Paul says in in one of his letters that that whenever we do this, whenever we we share the cup, whenever we uh, pass uh, the bread around, it's it's to uh, proclaim Christ's death until he comes again. And so there's this past, this present, this future. It all comes together, meets in one place called Jesus's table, communion, whatever you want to call it, eating and drinking with God. Now, if your mind is like swimming a little bit and you're thinking like, it's, it's too early to be talking about theology and I'm just really hungry right now. That's all I can focus on. Okay, good, <laughs> good. Uh, because I, I think, you know, as much as the church has debated this and talked about this, I, I think the best and the most perfect way that we could talk about this is to just say, it is this beautiful and holy mystery that there's something about this that our minds just, just can't possibly be wrapped around. And so let me share um, a story with you. I think this illustrates it uh, really well. Uh, so there was a woman named Sarah Miles. Uh, she, wrote, she wrote this book called Take This Bread. It's sort of her spiritual memoir. Um, and Sarah, she, she didn't grow up um, in a religious household. She was actually a pretty devout atheist and... Um, Anyways, one, one Sunday, she just kind of haphazardly stumbled into a church where they were celebrating this meal, communion together. And, and she tells about her experience there. And so I want to I read you out of her kind of diary of what she, uh, how she talks about this experience. She says this. She says, And we gathered around that table. And there was more singing and standing, and someone was putting a fresh crumbly bread in my hand saying, the body of Christ, and handing me the goblet of sweet wine saying, the blood of Christ. And then something outrageous and terrifying happened. Jesus happened to me. I I still can't explain my first communion. It made no sense. I was in Ears And physically unbalanced, I felt as if I had just stepped off a curb or been knocked over painlessly from behind. The disconnect between what I thought was happening. I was eating a piece of bread. What I heard someone else say was happening. The piece of bread was the body of Christ. A patently untrue or at best metaphorical statement. And then what I knew was happening... God, named Christ or Jesus, was real and in my mouth. Utterly short-circuited my ability to do anything but cry. She goes on, she says, All the way home, shocked, I scrambled for explanations. Maybe I was hyper-suggestible. Being surrounded by believers had been enough to push me momentarily into accepting their superstitions. What I'd felt was a sort of contact tie. And probably my tears were just pent-up sadness accumulated over a long, hard decade and spilling out unsurprisingly because I was in a place where I could cry anonymously. Really, the whole thing, in fact, must have been about emotion. I mean, the music, the movement, the lights in the room had evoked feelings, much as if I had been uplifted by a particularly glorious concert or seen a natural wonder. Yet, she goes on, Yet that impossible word, Jesus, lodged in me like a crumb. I said it over and over to myself as if repetition would help me understand. I had no idea what it meant. I didn't know what to do with it, but it was realer than any thought of mine or even any subjective emotion. It was as real as the actual taste of the bread and the wine and the word was indisputably in my body now, as if I had swallowed a radioactive pellet that would outlive my own flesh. Isn't that beautiful? I think, I think it's just so beautiful. And, and you know, maybe, maybe your experience with, with this meal, with communion, it, it hasn't been that. There's no swallowing of a radioactive pellet. But, but I think that there's beauty in that, too, just in the ordinary, everyday. Of this. Like one of the most spiritual, holy things that we are told to do as Jesus' followers is something every day to eat, to drink, and to remember. Like, could God have given us a more tangible way to remind us of our dependence upon Him for our life? Like, food is this daily reminder of sacrifice, of death and life. Like, in order for you to eat, in order for you to live, that means that something had to die. An animal, a plant, something had to give its life. Creation, the earth, is giving its life as a sacrifice just so that you and I can continue on living. We're dependent upon others just in the same way that we're dependent upon Jesus for our very own lives, that we have this daily reminder that the food that we eat, it took farmers, harvesters, it took truck drivers, grocery store workers, countless others throughout this supply chain just to get that food from the farm to your table so that you could have a meal. In the same way, we depend upon Jesus's life his sacrifice for our own livelihood. That Jesus' body was broken on the cross so that we might be able to receive him. I mean, what more, what more tangible way could God give us to experience grace and love? What more tangible way could God give us to, to illustrate this interdependent relationship that we are to have between ourselves and Jesus? and with something that we're already dependent upon, food and drink every day just to keep us alive. And, and, just as chaos and sin and death and disunity came into the world through eating the wrong type of food, remember back to the Garden of Eden, now life, and joy, and love, and grace are brought into the world through the right type of food, this meal. So we call this meal around a table. We call it, we call it communion or holy communion. Maybe you've heard of different names. It's been used before, uh, but that word communion, it, it simply means a sharing, a participation in, to commune with, hence communion. But we get that word uh, communion from The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, he gives us the longest uh, teaching in the Bible about this meal and what it means, and he says that the breaking of the bread is our participation in, our sharing in, our communion with the body of Christ, And, and the sharing of the cup is our participation in, our sharing in, our communion in the blood of Christ, Sometimes uh, this meal its called by, by different names. Maybe you grew up and it was called the Eucharist. That's a very common name for this meal. Uh, that word just means the good gift or the, the Thanksgiving meal. Maybe you grew up and this has been called uh, the Lord's Supper. It goes by many different names, but, but essentially what it's all about is eating and drinking with God, communing with God here at the table, And you hear in that word, communion, the the same root for the word that we have for community. This isn't just a meal between me and Jesus, but this is a meal for community, for Jesus's community. This is a meal where we come together not only with God, but we come together with one another. We're communing with God, we're communing with each other, and we're communing with God through one another. Now, what's what's really interesting is that uh, originally in the early church, uh, this meal, which we now have as a simple, you know, bread and juice, this this meal was a full-on meal. It, it was a feast, and now it's turned into some kind of um, somber, introspective moment. But it wasn't that way at all in the early church. This was the central act of their worship. Like when they got done, uh, you know, talking and praying. They would gather around the table and share this giant meal together. Um, Paul, uh, the apostle Paul, he actually uh, had a problem with this in one of the early churches in Corinth because people were getting way too drunk at uh, at the par- at the at the table. Um, we sure solved that problem, right? Now you just get this itty-bitty tiny you know, shot glass of juice and that's all you get, right? No more, no more. Nobody's getting drunk at these tables anymore. Problem solved. One sip, you're done. Uh, but the idea is that, that this, this thing, this meal of Jesus that he gave to us It was a meal of celebration. It it was a feast. It was a time to come together around the table of Jesus and to experience him there. And yes, there should be part of this that that is introspective, that that is somber. When we come to the table, we remember that it was Jesus' body that was broken, his blood that was shed. Yes, for you and for me, we remember that. But also... Also, let's not forget that we are people of the empty cross, that we are people of the empty tomb, that Christ has died, but yes, he is risen again. This meal, this meal is a celebration of that too. And so as we just come to a close and get ready to partake in this meal, I want to um, just read a, a, a quote from, uh, from Philip Yancey. Um, He says this, I love how he says it. He says, this table is different. It isn't where sinners find Christ, but where sons and daughters celebrate being found. Maybe someday, instead of solemnly making our way to tables, we should dance for joy. Maybe we should sing every born-again song we know. Maybe we should tell our homecoming stories and laugh like people who no longer fear death. Maybe we should ask if anyone wants seconds, of love that, and hold our little cups high to toast lost sinners found and dead brothers and sisters alive. This meal, it's, it's a meal of joy. It's a meal of grace. It's a meal of sacrifice, yes, and also gratitude on our behalf. And so as we prepare as a church body to celebrate this meal together as as a community, um, I want to invite us. I want to invite us to just take a moment to pause and meditate and reflect. We believe in our church that this table, it's Jesus' table. And everyone is invited to come. That there's no one who's too good that does not need this. And there's no one who is too bad that is barred from this meal. All are invited and welcome to come. And all of us, all of us need this. We all come with one hunger and one thirst to experience the love of God. So I'm going to give us just a couple minutes to pray and to meditate before we share this meal together. And what I would ask you to do, it might seem kind of weird, um, but I would ask you to, to just hold your hands uh, open as if you're about to receive something. Just hold your hands open, just put them in your lap as we prepare to come to this table. May it be a reminder for you that you come not, not giving something to God, not offering something to God, but you come to receive. You come to receive receive. God's grace and God's love for you today. Let's prepare our hearts to come to Jesus' table. Amen.